in this episode. I get the feeling here there's a lot of people taking the 80s to the bathroom, shoving it into the bowl, and then just taking a great big... Yeah, I did. I, I loved it, actually. I loved it. Oh, unleash uh, the Justin! Great, I've got this thing, but actually I want to do my version of it, which is completely different from the original. Putting right what once went never went wrong, you know what I mean? It's like Quantum Leap, but without anything going wrong and someone just coming and changing things. Yes, let's bring that back, but let's make this serious. Got to be gritty and serious. Gritty war film, gritty war film. I'm so glad Justin's back. Uh, he's a hero, he's a great guy, we all love him, but it turns out he had a really miserable life for decades. Like, what? No! Yeah, my life's been pretty long and miserable, and look, I've been beaten back into a corner hanging out with hobbits. And of course, they can all get picked off one by one, which is a very important thing I think this film should do to give stakes and character. Oh, and then it turns out he's a serial killer! And then he died. I think we might have done. I'll be richer for that experience. Um, mm, yeah. Yeah, I'll be brief because we've been through these gra- this ground before in this season, but what the hell, people? I mean, this is not okay. That is my conclusion. I hope everybody's mind is sufficiently blown by that. Sword. Did you come up with that? That's awesome. Gentlemen, and it's given me so much pleasure to say that in the plural, we have a problem. Uh, our beloved 80s has been attacked, besieged, raided, and its contents stolen and repackaged in a number of reboots and remakes. I suggest we have a conversation where we discuss this with the disdain appropriate to this insult. Indeed, for it is 2010, and now that we've stepped away from the uh, top ten, we can take a look at what else was going on that year. And in the new 80s kids format, we are going to take our second year show and tie 2010 back to the 80s, because we are the 80s kids. I am Leo, one of the 80s kids, and uh, my problem quoting friend is of course Ian, another of the 80s kids Hello! But But he is not alone, but we are joined for one show only all the way through Unleash Uh, the Justin! Yes, nobody even said Hawk the Slayer and I had a whole bit about that, but we we didn't get there, so Hi Justin, how are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you, and it's it's uh, delightful to join you gentlemen again and uh, I I intend to do more in the future, so... uh, well, that's good. Well, we have another season coming up at the latter end of the year, so maybe we can sort yes. something out for then. Uh, but for right now, let's uh, live in the past and look at how people in the past of 2010 were also looking and living in the past by talking, of course, about that uh, classic of 2010 stroke 80 cinema, Clash of the Titans, and how well that worked out. Mm. Yeah. Didn't we mm-hmm. see this at the same time in the same place, Justin? I think we might have done. I'll be richer for that experience. Um, mm, yeah. I think someone was having fun on this movie, but there was a lot of joy sucked out of what is essentially one of the campest films going, the original, that is just kind of glorious and kind of technicolour and crazy. And they went, yes, let's bring that back, but let's make this serious. Like, what? No, it's Clash of the Titans. It's not meant to be gritty. And so, yeah, and I, I have one person to blame for that, who I blame for a lot of films around this era. Really? Who's that? Yeah, that is the central actor. Oh, uh, like you, you've picked this up of me. Fun sucker Sam Worthington. Yeah, Sam he is a fun sucker. He is a fun sucker. 
And it's, it's like some of the other cast in this film seem to be like, hey, we're doing Clash of the Titans. This is awesome. I've got a toga and stuff. And he's like, no, got to be gritty and serious. But, but you know, there's like monsters with extra heads and they're flying. It's like, no, gritty war film, gritty war film. It's, yeah. um, but Did you catch this just out of interest? Well, because I felt I should have some kind of a clue approaching this relaunch of our series, I made a point of going out and watching Clash of the Titans in preparation. Oh, I'm sorry. So I, so, I, so I didn't have to go, no, sorry, I didn't see it at the time. But uh, just looking at the list of information you got here, this was written by the same person who did Empire Strikes Back. My God. I did go watch this recently within the last two weeks or so, and I remember starting to watch it and i was kind of like hmm i'm very certain at the time i would have not liked this film but actually it's not too bad it's going along all right and then i get to the middle and it goes <laughs> i was sitting there thinking does it hurt me that because i've seen the original clash of titan and i know it so well and i saw it at the age because you said that the first film is quite campy as a child, I remember Clash of Titans being quite nightmarish in places. There's people being yeah. burnt at the stake by the king because they can't solve the riddle. That's, that's in Clash of Titans, isn't it? And, of course, you know, the god mutates Caliban, to, so he's really hideous. Yeah. And the monsters, Ray Harryhausen's, this is his last big hurrah as far as his stop animation films go. When the, the Medusa looks at you and that blue flash comes in her eyes, it is genuinely chilling. You can feel yourself turning to stone. Yeah under her gaze it's a nightmare of a movie that's my childhood impression of it i mean i still owned action figures from it the late tim pickett smith was an action figure i still own but at the start of the film i thought it was quite kind of jolly and going along okay and the first thing that hit me very early on the film is oh my god pete Postlethwaite. this oh, is, yes this is the year he died i did not know who was in this movie and suddenly i was hit by this in the sadness that we no longer have Pete Possibly. He plays a father in this film who dies. And of course, he was also in Inception this year, and he plays a father who dies. And these, these weren't his last projects. He did do, I looked it up on the internet to see what he's like. He did do other projects this year before he passed away. But at the same time, I was suddenly hit by a kind of wave of sadness because he's been this continued face that we'd seen in proper British drama. And then suddenly he, he kept popping up in Hollywood all the time in things like Dragonheart. He, he would always be one of these perennial British actors that would turn up. And, and then suddenly he's like, oh, he's gone and he never come back and he always did a good turn I felt really sad about that and he died really early on in Clash of Titans and to get back to my central point does it hurt the fact that we all know the first one so well how can I define this because I always seem to stumble all my points after I finish talking and someone else has picked up the baton so I'm going to try and get this right the first time in the first film he gets stuck in a coffin with his mum and gets sent to sea and I believe Zeus is a bit pissed off this happens and so he has him rescued and then he has him sent to like an academy or something like that where he can learn how to fight and he grows up and becomes a man whereas in this one Zeus is a complete deadbeat dad he knocks up some woman doesn't give a second thought that someone points it out but just because he is intrinsically a demigod he picks up a sword and he can fight really well he gets gifts thrown at him whereas in the other one there was kind of like he really did have to work his way up to that power level even though he had this Zeus heritage going on and, and the other thing as well, in the, in the first film, these, these Olympian gods, you got a sense of massiveness about them, that they, they, they were these giant humans who were the descendants of the Titans, and they'd, they'd fought the primal forces of the universe and established the order of things, as all good human mythology stories should be. They are gods, and they're all powerful because they are gods, and they're all powerful. Whereas in this one, we have this very kind of weird dynamic where they credit humans to love them and pray to them, to give them immortality. And this is like, no, no, that, that's, not, that's not the Olympian gods. No, that's not them at all. As I felt Olympus, even though it's very shiny and everyone wears wonderful golden armor, is, is just not as good as the gods in the classic one. And for goodness sake, could, could Hades be any more hollow? I am evil. The statue of the head, you know, the, the, the goddess's head falling off and crashing down to ground level to see the, the mortals and then the face come alive and talking to them and issuing them, you know, their threat, the Kraken's going to come, you've screwed up too bad. Whereas, and that was like, these gods were huge giants. Whereas in this Ronald Fiennes just turns up and hisses at everybody, and it's kind of like Diet Voldemort. Funny you should say that, because honestly, I don't think that it's purely the fact that they kind of missed the point, although they did. 
fate was stacked against the Clash of the Titans. Uh, it occurs to me that one of the things that we have to blame here is the fact that it's a Warner Brothers legendary picture, much like most of the DC Cinematic Universe. And Louis Leterrier, therefore, has kind of played both sides of this studio fence where he made Incredible Hulk for Marvel Studios. And although many people find it a bit dull, Hulk fans love Incredible Hulk. But that's the point. There aren't that many Hulk fans, so it becomes a bit obscure. But then Louis Leterrier goes and works for the what is essentially the equivalent of the DC Cinematic Universe and see how well that's worked out for Joss Whedon recently. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's just not it's it's a different obviously a, a different ecosystem and he didn't wasn't able to run with it. Obviously Whedon has the advantage that everybody loves Whedon and therefore they blame Warner Brothers. Whereas in this case everyone blamed Leterrier. But he was probably getting pushed around left, right and centre. Everyone was telling him, oh, this Sam Worthington, he's so hot right now. Well, he was hot for about 10 minutes until everybody realised he had the charisma of, I don't know, I've got too many charismatic items around me. I want to pick up something. <laughs> this old and battered selfie stick, which works fine visually if you were watching us. But in fact, yeah, basically a really uncharismatic thing, like a potato or whatever. Yeah. You wouldn't put a potato in the main role in Clash of the Titans. So why would you put Sam Worthington there? Yeah. When you say that Ralph finds and this is the point there I picked up. Is like Diet Voldemort. Well, of course he is being Diet Voldemort because he's probably being he like he basically he's oh I'm Voldemort, I'm Voldemort, Voldemort. Yes, I'm doing Harry Potter. I'm getting on a plane. I'm going here. I've got three weeks to do Clash of the Titans. Uh, what's my character? Oh, he's Hades. Oh, I'll just make him like you know Voldemort, but with a nose and here. Yeah. That's why he's hissing because he's doing parcel tongue as Hades. What the hell, people? I mean, this is not okay. I mean, the whole thing is is just like that. It is just incredibly awful. And no, we don't, no, absolutely, no, sorry, absolutely not. Why did release the crack and become a meme? Because I knew that was a meme. And then I watched the film, I was like, it's just another line that Liam Neeson delivers. Wasn't it particularly spectacular compared to all the others he did? But I mean, the point is, 1980, you can't do a meme. Now you can. You know, sometimes memes just happen. Just, Justin, um, Justin, you like cutesy and cartoon, and I say that like I'm disdaining it, but uh, the <laughs> clockwork owl in the first film, it turns up again in this one. He picks out a chest and goes, oh, are we bringing yeah. this? No, leave it. Is that insulting to the memory sad, of the first? Really. Yeah. You know, that just makes me think, oh, kind of watch the original now. You've just kind of, I'm looking at all this misery. I'm like, I remember when there was just like a clockwork owl bouncing around. That was all very silly, but I kind of liked it from the original. And it's like, see, you've just made me... Rem- it's a bit like, you know, Superman Returns. You know, you exactly. you're just reminding me too much of the original, so I'd rather just go and watch that, thanks. You're exactly on point there, Justin, I think. That is exactly right. Let's let's move on and just roll up a couple of uh, also-rans. But these are, like, very important because they're attached to beloved properties of the 80s. And, in fact, Clash of the Titans is really no different to these two, whereas the last one we're going to come on to in the central part of this is A Nightmare on Elm Street and The Karate Kid both got some reboot... I would say some reboot love, but actually neither of them. Nightmare on Elm Street has the exact thing that Clash of the Titans had of like Wes Craven clearly had a sense of at some point this is ridiculous but on the other point it's supposed to scare you so I'm going to play that light whereas this remake I've seen 20 minutes of it once it's just nasty uh, honestly I don't imagine either of you've seen it the Karate Kid is called the Karate Kid because they want people who remember the Karate Kid and paint the fence and Daniel Russo and Mr Miyagi to go and see a Jackie Chan film about Jackie Chan cheating Will Smith's kid to do Kung Fu but when he arrives at the beginning he goes I know karate and everyone goes ha you fool nobody does karate in China and that's it and suddenly it's Kung Fu but he's called the Karate Kid as an insult I get the feeling here there's a lot of people taking the 80s to the bathroom shoving it into the bowl and then just taking a great big I just had some burritos last night all over the 80s with these reboots is that uh, fair of me or am I being arch is it nostalgia Uh, well I suppose karate was like karate and BMXs they were were suddenly their own in thing and I suppose you're like well technically it's not karate it's something else entirely I, I haven't seen the remake of the karate kid and I don't think I ever will have you have you seen it Justin no I haven't actually it's right. Okay, let's put it this way. It's very much like these things that we used to say. 
oh, you know, you know, if you didn't call it the Karate Kid, if you called it Jackie Chan teaches Jaden Smith Kung Fu, you'd be fine with it. It's mm. the fact they called it the Karate Kid that really puts it over. It's a middle of the road yeah. Jackie Chan. It's, it's the fact that in the day, the kid from the first karate movie was kind of like, well, his, what's the term for an every man as far as children is concerned? We could all identify with him. He was a bit of a nerd. He wasn't the coolest in the class. And, you know, he had, he had to punch above his weight. Whereas Jaden Smith is not an every man. <laughs> he's not. He's, he's in no way easy identifiable by any normal child in the US at all whatsoever. I think there's something about a child actor who's clearly there because his dad has paid for him to be there as a sort of summer camp. That just rubs people up the wrong way. He's essentially, Jaden Smith is like a super, super financially powered version of that girl who recorded that Friday song. Hmm. Oh, dear. I feel yeah. sorry for him now. Yeah. I didn't before, but now I do. Because, like, um, well, what, well, watch After Earth and then, oh, sorry for him then. Well, no, I was going to say, things don't get much better for him. There's After Earth coming oh. up. And that's like, yo, son, you didn't enjoy the Karate Kid camp because Jackie Chan's a decent actor and he just made <laughs> you look bad. It's fine. What I'm going to do in this After Earth film, son, is I'm just going to not act at all and then you'll look like the better actor. Okay. And strangely, it didn't work. We've noticed you have difficulty uh, acting and emoting emotions, so we're going to have an entire universe when no one has any of those so you'll be fine oh, right we, we'll pile into after earth another time right now i want to flip this whole bad vibe we've got to go on in it on its head and talk about some tributes the 80s deserved and surprisingly for some people although not for people who've heard earlier shows in this season i'm going to just nip in and say hello once again to that marvelous a team uh, reboot which uh, again justin you will have seen that with me it is, yeah. Probably won't have seen it recently, right? No, no, not recently, no. So what's your memories of the A-Team reboot before I just state my case on it? <laughs> I thought it was pretty jolly, I seem to remember. I mean, I knew it didn't. It was very much its own thing in that I didn't believe, you know, it didn't take me back so much. Oh, my God, these are so like the original. I am there. It was still its own thing, but... I thought in terms of the scale and stuff, it felt like they were trying to keep it not too crazy. So it was TV based. So it was wasn't too over the top. But maybe I'm maybe I'm misremembering stuff. I thought it was perfectly fine. And the cast was good and a bit of a, a bit of a romp. I, I enjoyed it. And remember. Yeah, I'll be brief because we've been through these gra this ground before in this season. But essentially, I'm just going to take this time for those of you that haven't yet got the memo. Go and reappraise this film. Because at the time when it came out, I too was in this place where it's just like, oh, it's a thing that happened. But when you look back at it, one, it's the best 18 movie you could possibly expect to happen at any time. The cast are amazing. And the director and writing team really did a good job of giving the A-Team a thing that people can now in the modern world grasp onto that the A-Team do, which is that they come up with a plan that you don't know about and the bad guy doesn't know about and everything that happens, you know, the plan looks as if it's gone awry, but that was part of the plan all along and all of this kind of stuff. It's really good. I think the problem here is that they tried to cash in on 80s nostalgia and were instead a victim of a wave of well, it's not really the A-Team. It's like, no, it's like the A-Team, but better than the A-Team. That's my bold claim here. It is better than the A-Team program was. Damn it. The original A-Team series, because it was, a, it was a huge hit and an unexpected one as well. And they, <clears throat> they didn't know for whom the A-Team was popular for, but they just knew it was really, really popular. They were like, well, it's about people, mercenaries who, you know, you know machine guns at each other, at bad guys each week. Uh, is is this, this kind of a, a more of left-leaning, right-leaning thing? What is it? Is it pro-gun? Is it not pro? Uh, and so they didn't know who the audience was, so they researched it. And the last year was their product of their research one, which is when you suddenly had Peter Vaughan thrown in as this guy who now controls the A-team and sends them on missions. And it was like, everyone said Peter's last series was a really bad run, and that's when the producer took over. Just to talk about sullying our precious things, we had them dissing the clockwork owl as too rubbish. When we the Transformers was on, the character of Bumblebee, he was kind of the human-level robot, he was famously, he was a yellow Volkswagen, which is a very charming, highly characterful vehicle. And of course, in that one, they, the homage of that was that he wasn't 
Bumblebee. Bumblebee was the burnt-out sports car next to him, and he sets off a load of alarms and shatters the Volkswagen. And in the A-Team, it happens again. We have the iconic black van with the red stripe in it. And for some reason, they had to throw an air conditioning unit off a building and crush that van. It's like... What are these backhanded, charming references that we get in these films? Where they diss the things that were kind of iconic and loved about them. Sullying our icons, going, look how rubbish and crappy the thing that was really identifiable. We will destroy it to show how cool we are now. It's because the executives at these film studios had seen uh, Men in Black 2. After Tommy Lee Jones gets his memory back and then Will Smith does the whole thing about, uh, you know that thing you used to drive? That was old and busted. This is the new hotness. You, old and busted. Me, the new hotness. And they're just recreating that whole thing over and over again with these terrible sideways sort of snide disrespecting of the thing. Yes. They're now trying to cash in on. And look at that now. Look at now. Tommy Jones, he's retired. He is now still cooler than Will Smith, who has seriously deteriorated in his sort of value, hasn't he? Yeah, Will Smith's not having a good time at the moment, so uh, there we are. Let's move on to other things. I mean, we have talked about this before, but I'm going to restate because I find it so remarkable. I, I actually would be quite interested to know Justin's thoughts on this. I went to see Tron Legacy in 2010. Absolutely blooming well hated it. I thought it was wow. awful. I actually have the double pack Tron and Tron Legacy because it was like four pounds in a shop. And I rewatched Tron Legacy for now because I love the soundtrack. In the meanwhile, I have yeah. a great love, great love of the soundtrack. And then when I rewatched the film, like, so you say, someone's taken the film away and replaced it with this much better movie. And I've just been like, yeah, okay, it's kind of not what maybe you might be expecting. Maybe. And it does have, I mean, they take the advantage of not being able to do a Vactor and do creepy Jeff Bridges de-aged. Uh, but it's, there's a point to it. They've got, well, he's the villain. So he's meant to look kind of off. So that's fine. And then you have real Jeff Bridges being a, a hippie in the digital mountains and stuff. Did you see Tron Legacy in the end, Justin? Yeah, I did. I, uh, I loved it, actually. I loved it. Oh, good work. Now, well, there I we think, go. I think that there is a bit of that kind of Uncanny Valley thing with Jeff Bridges. But because it's all happening in a digital world, it kind of gets away with it. Because you kind of go, yeah, OK, all right. And it's just enough. You know, it's kind of it's fine. Um, and I think it's held up fairly well. But the, the soundtrack, you're right, is absolutely amazing. I'll, I will put that on fairly often that that goes on. It's, it's amazing. It is just, in essence, kind of taken the spirit of, of Tron, the original, and of the modern age, you know? So you kind of, you know, it was all rotoscoped and kind of, you know, kind of dodgy black and white coloured up film in the in the past and the original. And the original, actually, if I'm honest, isn't that good film. I'll say that now. <gasps> I know there might be some fans out there, but it's like fairly basic plot and to be honest this does a similar kind of linear thing but it just slick it just looks beautiful it's just really kind of slick it's got a good cast so i really enjoyed it great it's a shame it didn't do well otherwise we might have had another one but i've really got like i've really got three points to make about tron legacy the first is about it it was generally regarded as a bit of a dud it famously came into existence because they put together a demo trailer and everyone went nuts for it at one particular um i don't know what it was comic-con or something and so it was on the momentum of that fan burst that we, we actually got the full tron legacy film green lit uh and i think for fans going in the expectation was because tron was to a certain degree was prescient it was it was before terms like internet existed so they talked about the system instead the the, the thing that the creator was trying to go for was you know it was about creativity and individualism mastering over a uh, central control and, and this how this would be a better world because we're all invested in there in our own kind of avatars because you know that it's we shape that world with the gods of it and I think everyone kind of felt it was very prescient to a certain extent. And also the, the sort of the look of it, because people are little red men or little blue men, because on the days of the Atari 2600, that's exactly what characters look like. They were little blocky, colourful people. And that relationship of how these programmes regard us as gods 
it was like, oh, that's a really interesting mythology. And, and people kind of sat back and thought, oh, and in this new world where we have this you know hyperspace highway and everything else like that, how is that going to be reflected now? And oh, Tron's really important because Tron is effectively an antivirus program, and that's kind of must be like the police force in this new virtual world. And we didn't really get any of that. We didn't get any expansion on what the Tron universe is like now. Instead, what we kind of got was a cul-de-sac of an upgraded graphics version of the world we saw in the first film. And I think that was why the fans felt it was a bit... You didn't go very far with that. It's interesting as a kind of a retelling of the creation myth with where Flynn is God. Well, he is a God in the computer world. And, of course, it's a new spin because he just wanted to create a new world like gods do. But then there was an independent emergent life and then he was overthrown by his own brightest angel. Uh, so there's kind of a reverse creation myth going on there, except where man in this universe, the, the ISOs, would emergent life form. That's why God was so fascinated in them as, 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 a, as a big thing. I felt that was kind of interesting. The funny thing is, I came out of that and was like, I felt they treated that particular aspect, the sort of creation myth part of it, quite shoddily. And then, in retrospect, when I watched it again, I was like, "No, they actually go quite deep into this." Mm-hmm. I must have. It might, I think it was the other thing. It was like the internet and thinking it was all going to be like that, and then finding it was basically the equivalent of a digital ant farm in a place that's not connected to the internet, and all of this, and you're like there. But it, I, I actually think when you when you state that. There's people at Disney, clearly, and they're the, the same people who've done Tron Legacy are probably, you know, overseeing the new Star Wars franchise. They're like, let's not go too far outside of the original shed, yeah? You know, we'll maybe walk around, but we'll walk down the path as far as the garden fence. But we're not going into the big wide world that's beyond. That's kind of what I think they were like. We're testing the water here. We're not going all the way. And if we'd have got Tron Legacy 2 or whatever you call it, that would have been the one where they start to go a bit further. It would have been about the, the, the computer characters coming into the real world. That's what Tron 3 seemed to be lining up to be your legacy two or whatever it wouldn't have been now i've just realized you know we've looked we've got three years of uh quote unquote new star wars uh well, to tell us that they would have in fact spent the whole time it would be like a boating lake they're just going round and round this one little island with the ocean just over there across the asphalt down the beach there's the ocean but we're sticking in the boating lake which is exactly how they've treated star wars so far star wars is, is a good connection to go here because i remember my third point uh there i feel there's certain parallels between the character of flynn the character of Luke Skywalker, as he is portrayed yeah. in the sequel trilogy. Uh, he's a hero, he's a great guy, we all love him, but it turns out in the sequel, as soon as the end credits were over and we thought we had a happy ever after, it turns out he had a really miserable life for decades. <laughs> and then he died. Spoilers, everyone. It's, it's so depressing. The thing, the clip that I kept going back to and wanting to watch again and again is the bit in the nightclub where suddenly... I've forgotten her name. She gets injured and then she sort of she's on the floor. Cat, 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 Olivia like, Wilde. Olivia, I can't remember the name of the character. The character, that's the character. And then suddenly Flynn appears and he puts his hand on the ground. The lights go out. Everyone turns and the music starts burning up and it's like God has walked back onto the scene again. Like finally, finally, Flynn is here. He's the user. It's going to happen. And then it kind of doesn't. It kind of doesn't really build up very much after that. And it's kind of the same in Star Wars. We get, ah, oh, Luke Skywalker's finally back. And it looks like you're going to start kicking ass. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's over now. That was the bit I kept going back to. Just that one shot where suddenly Flynn is there and he's in his hood and he's looking up and the music picks up and it's like, oh, he's back and he's pissed. We never got that Flynn the user is back to have one last hurrah. We didn't get Luke Skywalker's back to have one last hurrah. And it's so disappointing that they feel they need to go, well, our characters, in fact, were absolutely effing miserable and their life was a failure and all their work turned against them and then they this died. This is what happens when you get old because obviously the young, lovely-looking people are going to solve everything and the moment you get your grey hairs, that's it. You can't possibly do anything. you Old people exist to be fundamentally incapable of instituting sensible gun control. It takes the young people marching on. 
Wait a second. Don't get too political, Leo. Don't get too political. Reversal. Reversal. This podcast (laughs) is reversing straight out of that particular cul-de-sac. Where did that come from? But the point is, the actors are the same actors. You want the same actors back, but time has passed. Water has gone under the bridge. And writers will tell you, if you come back to Heroes, well, after the long after the, the party is over, this is what you will find. That's what writers do. It's just a thing that writers have. Or it doesn't. I mean, it's not a big surprise that that's the case. I mean, in a way, uh, Lord of the Rings sidesteps this because we never see Gandalf in his glory days. That Gandalf, who's in all of those Hobbit Lord of the Rings things, is that, yeah, my life's been pretty long and miserable. And look, I've been beaten back into a corner hanging out with hobbits because the Dark Lord has taken over the entirety of Middle Earth. Um, You know, and if there had been a thing where Gandalf was in that Luke Skywalker phase, then people would have been this is the worst ever. Gandalf just got, you know, he has to hang out with these tiny little halfling type people. What's going on? You know, worst fantasy sequel ever. But because Tolkien literally just went straight to that point, you know, like Obi-Wan Kenobi gets exactly the same treatment. Except the prequel trilogy is completely incoherent, which in fact saves it from being a big disappointment that his life is utterly miserable and he lives in the backwoods and then gets killed by Darth Vader. You know, it, it, after being a big hero. He wasn't a big hero because George Lucas was fundamentally incapable of writing that story. But hey, let's save that for our Star Wars special later in the year. And instead... Yeah go to a different franchise altogether. And another film that uh, Sue didn't come to the... I think Sue did come to the A-Team, and I think Sue did... Well, Sue definitely came to Tron Legacy, and you didn't. But this is the final part of that trilogy of cinema visits. Me and you went to see Predators, Justin, but Sue didn't bother because she didn't care. Uh, But (laughs) we quite enjoyed this. But the world at large... History has not been kind to Predators. And I'm still puzzled as to why, but maybe you are, Justin. It was very much kind of going back to form, I thought. You expanded the kind of the idea of the Predators, but not too crazily. So you get kind of the different casts and whatever. And I, I thought it was a good cast. And it was very back to the jungle, you know, kind of feel and isolated groups of people trying to deal with these things. And I thought it was perfectly fine. Fairly worthy for the, for the, um, for the franchise, I thought. I too saw this at the cinema at the same time. I'm a bit of a Predator fan. I'm like a huge fan, but it's like, I appreciate a Predator film. I'm part of that very small subgroup that actually felt Predator 2 wasn't too bad. Uh, I, I am, however, not part of Leo's... We won't have this because we've had it three times already. I'm not part of the uh, Aliens vs. Predator Requiem is actually a good film, guys, club. Uh, and I kind of felt that the Aliens and the Predators needed to be rescued from this marriage they have been put in. So I was, I was genuinely very pleased that we had like a proper third film to the Predator thing going on. And again, it's, 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 it, Predator's not a complicated idea. They kept it very simple. We grab a load of, of, des- of desperados and survivalists and that we've been kidnapped by the Predators and stuck in a theme park jungle for the Predators to go hunt down. And even the Predators have problems because there's even bigger Predators around as well who hunt them. And of course, they can all get picked off one by one, which is a very important thing I think this film should do to give stakes and character. To, to these to these things uh, here we're getting a predator reboot now which i think is the most unnecessary thing in the history of the world ever unless your intention is to literally remake the first predator film in which case i think it's like some sort of ouroboros has finally consumed itself or something well i think predator 2 has been rescued by history is now a bit of a cult movie People didn't respond well at the time to it just going in a completely different direction. But these days, people kind of are up for that. They like the fact that it doesn't, it's just a completely different it, it, it was. It was Los Angeles. It basically was a jungle, wasn't it? So. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, but the thing about it is that again, like the air conditioner crushing the van and the clockwork owl getting tossed in there, the fact is called Predators. And in fact, I remember the Robert Rodriguez interview. Robert Rodriguez and Nimrod Antal did a, uh, uh, an interview in which, and I think this was an unwise move on their part. They said, yes, it's called Predators because this is the sequel that Predator deserves, not the one it got originally. And that put people's backs up because they hadn't realized that in 2010 a lot of people quite like predator 2 and we're like i don't realize why people were so down on this at the time and you know danny glover's good and it's very different and it's all blah 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 and then along come these you know uh, we're we're gonna set matters straight putting right what once went never went wrong you know what i mean it's like quantum leap 
but without anything going wrong and someone just coming and changing things. It's like Predator, Predator 2 and Predators all sit together. It's a great night out. And yes, if the Predator really is a reboot, I mean, it is possible because this has been hanging around for a while. And if people have been listening to our podcasts or any of that kind of stuff, they might have got an inkling here that... The, you know, Terminator Genesis, that didn't work out so well, did it? And all of this kind of stuff, that basically the Predator should just be another Predator movie. It doesn't yeah. have to be a reboot. It, it doesn't. doesn't have to be anything particularly. It could just be another movie with the Predator in it. Because, you know, look how well that whole Prometheus Alien Covenant thing is going on as well. I mean, it's just not... Thing is, when I say it's reboot proof, I mean it's reboot proof to the point where if they wanted to do a bit of a radical redesign of the Predator to a certain extent, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't break the universe because we don't know too much about the species, and the fact that there might be different variations of the Predator creature that hunt people with gadgets, it wouldn't be the end of the world to me. I could tolerate both creatures existing simultaneously. So yeah, I mean that's the interesting thing about the Predator franchise. Unlike the Alien franchise, which has become so bogged down in lore that it's starting to look like I don't know Star Trek, Predator is an almost lore-free franchise. The lore stays exactly the same in each version. Like there's a Predator, it comes down, it hunts people. If you're evidently not good prey, it'll leave you alone. You know, we don't kill pregnant women. We don't kill them. And then, of course, in Predators, there's the twist. You know, there's the guy who doesn't seem like he belongs there. Oh, and then it turns out he's a serial killer because he's not there for no reason. Like the logic of the Predator, weirdly, is something that the people who make Predator movies can always wrap their head all the way around and they never move it too far ahead I know that a complaint that a lot of people had about this movie is that Lawrence Fishburne turns up and then it goes real slow for 20 minutes but I don't know I didn't done bother me to be honest no, I thought Lawrence right. Fishburne was it's pretty good quite a memorable character who turns out to be actually crazy yeah I mean you know how can anyone argue with what are you I'm alive it's like that's a great line everybody we love that this is the thing we have, on the one hand, things like Clash of the Titans, Karate Kid and Nightmare on Elm Street, which are justly consigned to the dustbin of history because they're not really very good. But then you have, joining them in the trash pile, the 18 Predators and Tron Legacy, which I think is very much, you know, when we threw away that bathwater, they were the baby that went away with it. And I think it is definitely time to, uh, in this backwards-looking 80s, environment which uh, was uh, weirdly happening in 2010 with nobody really seeming to notice i certainly didn't think either a god these children's movies are depressing or b there's a lot of 80s stuff going on this year and yet both of these things are the case in a historical perspective but what the hell was tim burton up to we've already discussed this briefly when we did the top 10 but now uh, a tim burton aficionado uh, par excellence mr wyatt is here to say well what do you make of alice in wonderland that uh, tim burton uh, sort of crapped out in 2010 so visually it's interesting but it for me it's always kind of at this stage now it's a law of diminishing returns and um, it's a bit i think what i was really disappointed about actually that it was just a new story that was just kind of like any other story i was hoping for a, a proper traditional take i suppose i shouldn't really have expected that from tim burton but it's okay it's just I can't. I just. I, I just would like to like it more. I think, which is I, often I get with Tim Burton these days. I go and go. Come on, I want to be enthused. I want to touch of that kind of Beetlejuice magic. So it's all visually interesting and fun, but I don't know. I just kind of didn't like the story so much, um, and the fact that she was older is like, yeah, I don't know what this is really. It's like Tim Burton does this. He'll get he'll take a property. And he'll think, um, great, I've got this thing, but actually I want to do my version of it, which is completely different from the original. So, and this is one of those, really. It's kind of, you know, it has elements of, of Alice in Wonderland, but it's also kind of just a film that does, could, could have been another fantasy film. Just a kind of, I mean, a weird one, admittedly, but 
I tell you what, I don't like in it. I do not like Johnny Depp in this as the Manhattan. I don't I, like it visually. I think the others work really well, but there's something about I just don't I don't get it. He kind of looks very strange, so different from anything that I've seen before. Johnny Depp is a bit like that with Tim Burton. Kind of the more of I see of him recently, I'm kind of like I think I'm kind of done with this. I, I'd like to get academic on you guys for a minute. Uh, Ian, yeah. do you have anything to add here? Well, the only observation I have about this film occasionally we will look at a movie poster and we'll go, how did this ever get greenlit? This is this is not going to make any money. I can see this is a bad idea. And I saw this poster and I thought, oh, Tim Burton's doing Alice in Wonderland. Oh, who thought that was a good idea? Thing is, this was the second highest grossing film of the year. It made serious bank. This is a Tim Burton hitting one up the park as as far as being a successful director goes, if box office is your measure. So it, that's what's surprising most about this film, is it just did gangbusters. Here's the thing, and this is, the, I mean, retrospectively, history is not kind, I think, to Disney's, Disney's Tim Burton's Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. I mean, that's the problem right there. It really is Disney's Tim Burton's Lewis Carroll's uh, well, actually, no. Lewis Carroll goes before Disney. Lewis Carroll's Disney's Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. That's the way round it goes. You know, like Bram Stoker's Dracula or Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Yeah, it's just a thing of its own. And I don't think, looking back at it, I mean, even Sue, who's a rabid Alice in Wonderland fanatic and does have time for this movie on that basis, has to admit well, the sequel is better because it runs with the thing that Tim Burton set up and therefore becomes its own thing. And the Alice in Wonderland that Burton produced is not comfortably its own thing. And the big question that we came to ask is why? And I have to apologise here because this is really a conversation for Sue where she could come in and put that in, but she can't because she's very graciously let me come here and she's looking after our son. So I shall endeavour to do this argument justice. But the real point is that what we came to the conclusion of if you compare wonderland to oz okay for some reason if you keep doing these dark reimaginings of the wizard of oz kind of works like when you go back to oz and go hey or like the prequel even uh, the great oz the great powerful when an adult goes into oz he sees oz for what it is which is a lot of cartoon characters who are all blooming sociopaths it's an awful horrible place full of fields of poppies that'll put you to sleep so you never wake up and vicious flying monkeys and you know that crazy woman with the bloody heads in the glass cabinets and all of that when you've got a little bit of an adult perspective oz is a terrible terrible place that the original Wizard of Oz movie kind of makes look a little bit bearable for a minute, but in fact is still quite awful just in there. And the history and time of Oz is just this history of various fairy creatures conquering the beautiful land of Oz and crushing it under a heel of despotic stuff and being con artists and awful human, well, not human beings, awful magical creatures, Yeah. Wonderland, on the other hand, exists without chronology. Wonderland is a completely eternal, like the tea party is the central part of Wonderland and it happens forever. Like all the jokes about unbirthdays and stuff. It's like Wonderland is a state of mind. It's a, a moment. It's a quantum eternity. And therefore setting a story in a place after the tea party is finished, and when the Jabberwock is coming and having a history and a time was Burton's fatal error that Wonderland has no chronology. It has no time. That's why everyone's so lunatic, because nothing ever changes. The tea party goes on forever. The queen is forever in her castle, forever ordering that people get their heads cut off and never noticing that they never do. You know, that is what Wonderland is. And that means that Tim Burton's Wonderland via Disney with a nod to Lewis Carroll is not Wonderland. It is its own thing, but it doesn't have the courage of its convictions. That's why the Alice Through the Looking Glass works slightly better, in my opinion, because that guy was inheriting that legacy and he went, OK, so it's its own thing. And that's what it became. That is my conclusion. I hope everybody's mind is sufficiently blown by that. <laughs> that's a good makes sense yeah i haven't I mean, seen the sequel 
The sequel is is fairly decent. It's like a sort of this is what's weird. Tim Burton had descended to the level of self parody. The sequel is pastiche Tim Burton, but pastiche is less unkind than parody, and therefore it is fine. It is it's pretty entertaining actually. Uh, so there we are. So that's our main course uh, of 2010, obviously disregarding the uh, notion of the top 10, because that was show one. So we've been through the top 10. We've had a look at that. We have uh, a little uh, roll of honour and all of shame. Dennis Quay, Tom Cruise, Bruce Willis, Carrie Elwes, all busy in 2010, respectively with Legion Night and Day, Red and Saw 3D. But there we go. Uh, other film, notable films that came out this year, from Paris with Love, from my favourite Luke Besson, a District 13 Ultimatum, also from my favourite Luke Besson. Uh, we had some horror movie stuff in The Crazies. We had uh, Machete from Robert Rodriguez, uh, in addition to him producing on Predators. Resident Evil Afterlife, one of my favourite. Uh, I was pointing out earlier that this came out the same year as It's a Wonderful Afterlife, which would make a truly bizarre double bill. Um, and as I own both movies, maybe I can do that later on. We had uh, Monster which is made by the same man who later went on to make Godzilla and not as I believed at the whole beginning of our podcast for many many shows until about show 50 I believed that it was the guy who made the raid who made Godzilla and that's not true at all I'm very sorry about that oh people forget DreamWorks Megamind which I quite like actually so it's unfairly sort of forgotten somebody thought that making a film of the voyage of the dawn treader was a good idea in 2010 and I kind of like that for being so bizarre and then we have you know Ethan Hawke doing Daybreakers uh, Book of Eli Hogged Up Time Machine and that has a, that has a sort of tenuous 80s connection but I'm imagining nobody's seen Hogged Up Time Machine except me I've seen it you've seen it what do you think of Hogged yeah. Up Time Machine Justin I like the reference it's fun yeah, there we go. So there we go. That's a, a recommendation right there. It's fun. Have you seen Hot Tub Time Machine 2, Justin? No. Oh, that is so weird. Uh, it right. is the, one of the weirdest films. Like, really? They're making this movie? It's like a sort of uh, cross between American Pie and Red Dwarf. Uh, you probably hear my son having a tantrum in the background. Isn't that great? Um, uh, Robin Hood, Ridley Scott's Robin Hood came in uh, this year, thus showing that the rot was setting in the Ridley Scottosphere, and it still hasn't not set in. I believe that Ridley Scott has been out throwing shade over Blade Runner, the new Blade yeah. Runner movie. Really? Um, he wants to do that, really. Yeah. He, Didn't he, he like he's... produce it or something? No, no, no. I think he might have got a producer credit, but you know how these things work. He was just like, oh, I'm not sure I would have done that. Didn't his own like, yeah. son direct the, the short mini prequels that went that were virally released before the film? Uh, he's just talking about the film. He's not talking about anything else that might have uh, come out. Anyway, so we also have Wolfman, Repo Man, Human Centipede. Oh, my God. The Human Centipede came out in 2010. Sands of Time, Splice, which is Vincenzo Ditali's most disappointing film to date. Oh, of course, uh, Shyamalama Ding Dong was in the area with Last Airbender. To be honest, there was a lot of crap that came out in 2010. It was not a strong year. We probably have covered the best of it there. But, Leah, yeah. what, what do we call this decade? <laughs> we still haven't solved our principal question. We began this year discussing. Was it well, Justin may, Justin may have an idea. What are we calling this decade, Justin? Have you come isn't across it, any it, I don't know. Isn't it the teenies or something I'd heard? Yeah, although, of course, with 10 to 12, or 10, 11, and 12, they're not teens yet. So well, I, I, no, pre-teens. I, the adolescent years of this millennium, yeah. that's what we're... It's not, it's not catchy, but it's accurate. Uh, if people have an idea of what the hell we should really call this uh, decade to be both accurate and also sort of descriptive in a glib way, where might they go to tell us and only us about that particularly special title, Ian? Well, one place you can go to uh, espouse how wonderful Russell Crowe's accent was in Robin Hood, uh, that would be our Facebook page. You've got deaf ears, mate. Uh, yes, <laughs> the Facebook page. Tell me about that. You can find our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash revenge of the 80s kids. And that's 80s as in numbers, so 80s. But podcasts are what it's all about. And to find a full archive stretching back from the very dawn of time, 
all you have to do is point your web browser at the 80s kids and that's 80s as in word dot blogspot.com once there you'll be able to subscribe using the podcast aggregator of your choice or stream and download individual episodes direct to your pc for dark reasons of your own if people want to subscribe directly to the cast leo uh, how might they do that well, Ian, all they have to do is set up a new feed in their podcast aggregator and point it to feeds.feedburner.com forward slash revenge of the 80s kids, and that's 80s as in numbers again, so 80s. If people are so impressed by the audio they've heard today, they would consider offering their support on Patreon to make the world of the 80s kids brighter still. They could check out our Patreon campaign at patreon.com forward slash the 80s kids and that's 80s the word but of course uh we have a third today and now in his very best yorkshire stroke australian stroke uh somewhere else in the world accent justin is going to tell us where we might find him elsewhere on the internet <laughs> go for it justin <laughs> <laughs> If you if you want to catch some of my images, um, then and please visit uh, justindoodler.com or one word, which is my website, where I have a selection of uh, of uh, illustrations for your delectation. I'm so glad Justin's back. I've got this new shtick for the relaunch where now I really like Justin and we don't no longer have a rivalry. In fact, I want to put my arms, <laughs> put my arms around you and just, there we go. Oh, that's really comfortable. I could, I could hug you for ages. This is really nice. Uh, don't, aren't you it's, enjoying this too? It's, there's less of us to hug, in fact. So it's, uh, yes, it's, it's, it's easier to hug us because, yep. uh, communally, I think we've, there's a whole fourth 80s kid. <laughs> Mostly that's come <laughs> off you guys, but there's a little saving that's come off me that I'm still working on. Um, and yeah, that's what's going on there. So that's, kids, of, oh, that's that. our byline. The eight kids are back and we've trimmed the fat off the podcast this time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, on that slightly disturbing, creepy image, I think we're going to take our leave from you now. Uh, thank you for joining us for 2010. And uh, me and Ian... We'll be back to discuss why Star Trek is screwed next time. But for now, bye. Farewell. Goodbye.